Hey, welcome back to Sister Brunch with me, Fanchon Cox. Now, Anya's not with us this week. She is filming, but we have an incredible show lined up for you. Today is episode three of our series with Time's Up on safety, power, and equity in Hollywood. On today's show, we're focusing specifically on how to keep effectively pushing for truthful and authentic representations of Black women in media, and our guests are so all about that. So today we have Advertising Chief Officer Christina Pyle and filmmaker and actress Winter Dunn. Christina Pyle has been a driving force in creating diversity and battling gender inequality in creative industries. And she is now the Chief Equity Officer Americas at Densu, an advertising agency focused on championing meaningful progress. She was the former Executive Director Advertising at Time's Up. And Winter Dunn is an award-winning actress, producer, and director with a passion for telling Black stories through her production company, Winter Dunn Productions. By day, she directs digital editorial content for Condé Nast Digital. So welcome, you two beautiful women, Black Women Plus. Thank here you. On Sister Thank Watch. you welcome. for having us. Definitely. Okay. So we're going to start with Christina because we want to know kind of like what is a day in your life look like at work? But Christina, we want to know if before you start that you can kind of build up from your early days of knowing that you wanted to do this or perhaps not knowing you wanted to do this and how you ended up doing what you do today. I broke into the advertising industry via a diversity and inclusion program called MAPE, Multicultural Advertising Internship Program. And so... I'm a big believer in programs like this, that they actually do work, that they actually do create a pipeline because it was a opportunity of a lifetime that's created a lifetime of opportunity for me. So I'm a believer in these programs and that's how I broke into an industry that was still very white, male, and, and didn't look too dissimilar to the Mad Men show. That was supposed to be the 1950s. Mm. So, you know, that was around 2007, which is an interesting time to come into... The, any business. Just around the corner was a, a financial crisis and getting a job, keeping a job, working through that time was intense. And it was, it's not dissimilar to like kind of what we're navigating through now. So I kind of came up in the industry and you have this idea that this is a creative industry. So there's going to be eclectic people. There'll be people of all rainbows and shapes and identities. And when you looked behind the curtain, it was kind of your Silicon Valley type bro culture and a culture of sameness. And it was, I just saw no people that looked like me in leadership. I saw no people like me that were creating the, the ads, the creative product. And that wasn't okay. And when I came in, I had those fairy godmothers who were working on disrupting the industry in the early mm. days before these diversity inclusion roles where that were sexy. This was back in the day when there was no budgets. You know, there's no people resources and so, and there was no promise that you can make a career out of this. Mm. So this is when I started to do the work of diversity, equity, inclusion, advocating for other people. I had that inflection point in my career where I stopped chasing opportunity and my like metric of success was creating opportunity for other people. That's like when it took off, when I changed my network, I changed my metrics. I went from you know, wanting to have those blue chip clients on my resume to 
how many people do you mentor and how many people do you keep in the industry and how many people are you having those behind the scenes conversations with about their paycheck? So you couldn't have told me I would be in this position in this place. I'm six months into a new job with a chief title and I, I feel, we feel really good, good about, about it too. We are. <laughs> it's a, it is the opportunity in the runway to make the change I've always like envisioned being able to make. Christina, so. let me ask you real quick with entertainment often it's very visible. Like we see actors, for example. So even though we talk about if you can't see it, you can't be it at least now more and more, you know, I think of like young black girls are seeing women like Viola Davis to aspire to. But how did you even know that advertising was something, you know, given that you can't kind of put a face to it anyway? Did you have any specific sparks early on that said, this is the thing I want to do? Not at all. My, my trajectory into advertising was like topsy-turvy. You know, in college I was on TV, I was on MTV on one of those challenges. Nobody gives me respect for that. My parents <laughs> think, my parents think it's cool. I, I like it. I came back to school a little bit of a lost soul, deviating from what I studied originally. And a professor saw me. He saw me um, and knew of this opportunity to move to New York and to get this professional training. And I came up with some bad asses that came out of this program. It was really somebody who saw me and me taking a risk. And then I found out in this industry, the advertising industry was not designed for me. It wasn't designed for me to be great. It wasn't designed for me to have influence and longevity. And so, you know, like I said, I had incredible early mentors, the godmothers that were at the beginnings of majorly disrupting the advertising industry. And I, so I supported those women. And now I have like a whole cohort of young women that are pushing me forward. So... Yes. Winter, do you want to jump in here? Just I'm I'm just I'm inspired, right? And I it so resonates with me this feeling of someone saw me and gave me a shot because the industry I wanted to break into, there was no space for me, or it didn't feel like there was a space for me. Like no one was holding the doors open. But I, I've had similar opportunities where coming to LA, wanting to make film, wanting to make TV, but really not having an in. And I came here as an actress. I have a theater performance degree. And, you know, in some spaces that's a respected thing, but in others it's it's not. It's like, oh, you're just talent. Like, you, you, you know, you don't belong in some of these conversations. And so I had to prove to people that I belong to be there. And some people saw me and went, you know what, let's give her a shot. Let's bring her to set. Let's uh, see what she can do. And then from there, you, you work your ass off. <laughs> so they'll, they'll doubt, you know, not seeing you from the beginning. Absolutely. It is so all about having those folks who kind of lift you up. And sometimes maybe they don't look like Black women. In my case, certainly most of the time they do. <laughs> they, they are other Black women who have been doing the work. But yeah, so I think you're constantly kind of looking out for who could be an ally or hopefully they're looking out for you. This is Sister Brunch with Fanchon Cox. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with Christina Pyle and Winter Dunn. Welcome back to Sister Brunch. I'm Fanchon Cox. Let's get back into this conversation with Christina Pyle and Winter Dunn. 
Can you talk about the state of Black women's representation from your perspective? She's just coming out with some big questions. (laughs) I know. I was, wow, that is a big one. I think for me, in talking about the Oscars, the Grammys, I'm going to be just thinking about that quite a bit. But in some regards, I do think that we are being celebrated and awarded and being put on platforms that we weren't before. And we're seeing people like Meg Thee Stallion, who does not look like a performer type we would have accepted even two, three years ago. Dark skin, tall, she's built, like just her physicality is not what the industry would consider feminine at some point, whether you like her music or not. It's great to see women of all shades, black women of all shades of all types, you know, being able to stand up on these major platforms and claim their awards. So, but so like, also, are we good? Like we got all our representation, we're good to go now. <laughs> we can stop fighting nah. now. No, we not nowhere nowhere close. To me, it's like I always want a black woman to win, but I'm also looking at why are we being awarded? What's the intention behind it, and what are you trying to benefit or? Get I think from? I, I'm glad you led with the positive because there has been a lot of progress, and we have to we have to pause because a lot of us have been the, behind the scenes pushing for progress. So we can't just say nothing's happened, no movement, no change, no greater representation. I watched the Oscars, and there was a lot of us nominated and us winning. But I feel like, is it now too late when, you know, Oscar ratings are really low? We're in this very disruptive year. And so, you know, now they want to honor us and award us. It's kind of like, do you guys remember when Friends was going off the air, maybe the last two seasons? And that's when they first introduced representation to New York City. That's when they first brought in like Aisha Tyler and, and there, right. there's a pattern of shows that hit their popularity or kind of close to the end. And that's when they will answer the call for more diversity, more inclusion, more representation. So I'm seeing that a little bit in the Grammys. We know the ratings, the Grammys, the Golden Globes, the Oscars. We know a new generation's coming and saying, I don't, I don't want to watch you guys celebrate yourselves. I'm feeling a little skeptical. I'm, and I'm kind of like, can we get a retroactive Oscars? Like, can we celebrate Love Jones? Like, all these things that just have not been accessible to white audiences, but we know are brilliant. What, what about like that, Morgan right? Morgan Freeman? Are we, we really going to give him an Oscar for Million Dollar Baby? I can think of a couple others. Yeah, right. we can't. We can list them, can't we? So, yes, we're nowhere near where we want to be. And we have every right to kind of critique and question why we are where we are right now, right? A lot of it is performative, isn't it? It's just like all the black boxes on Instagram in the summer. So to that point, what is the responsibility? Let's take, first of all, the responsibility of black creators. What would you say right now, what is our expectation for black creators in terms of their, whatever it is that they can do to kind of be represented? For me, at least, I think it's our responsibility to to be authentic and to show our authenticity. It's like, as a creator, as a storyteller, I can only show you who I am. But I mean, I can choose to say other narratives, of course, but I think it's important that we continue to make films, continue to create narratives that are our authentic representations. And I do think it's something to say about not trying to entertain everybody it's like i want to entertain my people and if you enjoy it as well 
great, but it's not for you. And I'm not afraid to say that it's not for you. <laughs> I love that. And then I'm so curious about Christina, who's on the end of like having to sell it as something that's universal enough to profit. How do we walk that line? And I'm with you too, Winter. I'm like, this is not for everybody. This might not be for example, no shade, but like for a Tyler Perry crowd, this might be for a Love Jones crowd, right? Like I know that's what I write, but then Christina, you're in that position where you're like, how do I make sure the largest crowd possible? That is a tough question. I'll answer your first one because I think black creators have a spotlight in the moment and have an opportunity to show people what inclusion looks like. So we can show the full diaspora of blackness and we can bring in other underrepresented groups like in especially in ads and film you know our asian brothers and sisters still are sorely lacking in representation and we can also just show the queer the intersectionality of blackness the queer experience i think black creators can show Hollywood can show Madison Avenue, can show them what's, what good looks like. And then it's appeal to the mass audience. I feel like that is not when great work breaks through. I think our industry, we create work to sell products, but we really try to understand the consumer and understand that single-minded insight and build something. And, and that's the can award-winning work. And that's the work that other creatives in my industry celebrate. And the clients are looking for it. I mean, that's why... Black voices have such a seat at the table because we're telling different stories, new narratives and different voices. Okay, so to pull back from that a little bit on both your ends, what does good look like? Because I know part of the problem is that even good for so long, based on these award shows, was the white gaze of good, right? Like whatever they determine is good storytelling is what they, you know, and it always erased us. But what are the elements that you have to have to make it good? Well, I mean, in the simplest term, it's like the writing has to be there, right? We have to have a strong story. We have to have a protagonist that has an objective that they are fighting for. We have to watch them fight for that thing and fail, get up, fight again, eventually. You know, I mean, we could talk about like story structure. I think as long as you're sticking to what makes a good narrative, to me, it's a good piece. Now, when we're talking about what I like, I've been really trying to look at people's work that I don't agree with or or that isn't for me and still try to allow it to have its space. Because I think what a lot of white creators have had the space to do is to make very basic, regular, not great, not terrible, just a movie for the sake of because I wanted to and I thought it was cool and I wanted to have fun and create something. And at the end of the day, it's like as filmmakers, I would hope we're still artists, right? There's business to it, but we're artists first. And so I want to allow black creators and other people of color, just be big, just make some stuff, have fun, like figure it out. Like, I don't know. And then eventually, of course, we'll have those that stand out that are making the work that we go, okay, this is like, this is what we're all striving to, right? There are people who are doing it and doing it well, but I really want to be able to like, have a black director get paid well to make a silly comedy. Like uh, Get Hard was on my TV today with uh, Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell. And I was like, I hate this movie. I, I don't like this. But somebody had a silly idea and they were given, I looked at the budget, I think the budget was like 40 million bucks to make their silly movie. And I'm like, I will definitely take the 40 million to make my stories, like, you know. <laughs> This is Sister Brunch. I'm Fanchon Cox, and we will be right back after this quick music break. 
We're back. Here's more of our conversation with advertising inclusion leader, Christina Pyle and Hollywood triple threat, Winter Dunn. Christina, you've mentioned the word good, right? Like what, what would make it Well, good? I mean, in advertising, we tell, you know, 15, 30 and 60 second stories. And so you have to, you know, capture people's attention and hold people's attention. You have to hero and feature a product. But it all starts with like a simple human truth. And it, it definitely starts with authenticity pulled from a lived experience. These are some of the tenets of what the creative work that you've seen break through. You know, I'll, I'll reference um, the Colin Kaepernick Nike work. That is just a definition of what good looks like. It's bold, it's client bravery, it is of the moment, it's disruptive, but also it's good. They have good in insight in people analytics for where their consumer is, is headed. So they're getting out in front of where their consumer is gonna be and tapping into their sentiment. So it was like a calculated risk, but we celebrated them for, for like boldly taking a stand in a very political yeah. climate. So that type of work is what good looks like for me. We were talking about representation and I do think, you know, Gina Davis Institute measures in advertising, representation in advertising. And black women particularly still, there's still a challenge for how we represent black women in advertising and in opportunity. But and I'll give you an example because my mom hates the Pine Saw commercial. She just hates the Pine Saw commercial. Okay. She doesn't hate that lady. The lady's got to get paid, but she just hates that representation of us in ads as cleaning and as a certain type of energy. And then, you know, they make us into, you know, bottles of Aunt Jemima and Mrs. Butterworth. And fast forward, the advertising industry is realizing that we can get to more consumer dollars if we don't just label black women as not drinking beer. And if we don't label black women as not into whiskey. And if you, you know, show us in banking, like there's a whole, right now lights are coming on for marketers and I'm just like, we've been here. Yeah, now's our time, which is not true at all, right? They don't even know what it's gonna look like when it's really our time. But now that they're actually, you know, paying attention, picking up the phone and calling, um, in my work on the Inclusion Writer, we were creating this kind of link to database, all the databases in existence that we know of from which you can hire crew because we do not want to hear that you can't find any. But it's another okay. reason why we do this podcast, right? Is like, not only do you get to know who these, you know, you see what this woman's experience is, you get to hear her personal narrative as well. So it's authentic, like you were saying, Winter. So Winter, especially when it comes to like historical narratives where we have not had the agency to tell our own stories about enslavement or even civil the civil rights movement in so many cases it was them right. <laughs> and yet we are triggered and we are tired of seeing struggle what's your take on that i always go back to like authenticity and asking yourself what do i have to add to this story right like when we're talking about history history itself is a long story that we've all collected and we've all agreed like this is what happened and we teach our kids so if i'm going to tell a story based on history my own or anyone's history i always am asking myself what do i have to add to the conversations that are already being had what is my unique perspective how is it going to elevate this conversation so in that like scope 
if I want to talk about my, like, I'm very interested in generational trauma because that's something I can clearly see throughout my own bloodline and things that I struggle with now, I can literally trace back to my grandma and then her mom. And I'm like, that's why we became to be who we are. So in that regard, I'm like, if I want to go back to slavery and talk about our experiences from a specific lens, then I'm going to do that because it's coming from a place of truth and a place of I am looking for discovery in this place. I think what often happens is we see someone's story and we go, oh my God, that was so tragic. People would love to go sit and watch it. So that's where you get this trauma point where it's like, you really didn't have much to add other than showing how gruesome and terrifying and awful these experiences were. And if that's the whole point, then there is no point in my opinion. It's that now you're just playing into this game that we don't need more of that. We don't need any more of the game. If you have something to really say, especially if that's your history, say it, that's your history. And I'm not gonna let anybody else who thought they could tell my history stop me <laughs> from telling the stories that I'm drawn to. Mm, but I need to yeah, be drawn and, to and, it. And the know? audience will know that you were drawn to it, that it, that it was meaningful to you. Christina, do I mean, you, it's a little, it's a little far from my industry, but it's not like I'm not a patron of the film industry. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to revisit everything and just tell it through our lens. You are speaking to who's behind the camera, which is in the advertising industry, it's the issue is in front of the camera, behind the camera, adjacent to the camera. The frontiers that we're fighting, we're fighting like three frontiers in advertising and marketing. It's, you know, who are the creatives that are, you know, coming up with the idea and conceptualizing? Who do we hire on as the person who's going to steward the idea, the director? And then who are going to be the producers and the casting agents and the animators? And so there's a whole supply chain that we've been left out on. A whole mm. supply chain. We're working on this project right now at Densu. It's called Project Booker. It's a podcast hosted by Gia Peppers. You should check it out. It is the example. Right. We, we launched it second week of Black History Month. Why we're so proud of it is from concepting the idea to the production company, to the media, to the broadcaster, and even the host. Everything from the talent to the whole supply chain is black excellence. And so what what does that look like? And what have we been missing out on? And what is the opportunity? And that I think there is an opportunity in that across Hispanic, Asian, LGBT, but what I love about what you're saying is that, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, we just need to see people of color. It doesn't really matter who are the people or who make the thing exist. As long as the person in front of the camera is a person of color, then it's fine. But what how does the piece shift? And how does the perspective of the conversations you all are having shift having a team of people who all get it? Hey, it's Fanchon and you're listening to Sister Brunch. We'll be right back. And if you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Sister Brunch. And we are back, and here's more of our conversation with Christina Pyle and Winter Dunn. We continue to hear we can't find people. So how do the two of you respond to that? It's production in the year 2021. And you telling me you can't find... Like, to me, I, I'm like, you're not trying hard enough. Because I have several friends who are waiting to get a job. I mean come to me, I'll link you to, there are so many creatives in this industry, so many creative minds in this industry. And I think especially with the growing of technology, everyone has a phone. I think everyone is starting, like Hollywood isn't 
this big mystery that it used to be where it was like, I know I'm creative, but I have no idea where I could possibly start. So I won't even take that route. It's like, you go on YouTube, you go on Instagram. I see so many people making like, oh, here's a cool way to shoot a short. That it, it's everywhere. So it means that so many people that are would have already been interested have tools now and resources. And that's talking about like low level education, just like learning on your own. Not even talk, tapping into how many film students do we have who have graduated in the business saying they can't find a job in every major city in this country. So to me, it's like, that's BS. If you just looked a little bit, literally a little bit, you would find people ready to work. That's Our industries though. are bad, but Hollywood, I answered that question with a long, slow blink. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just feel like... Hollywood, if you pull back, was an industry of a lot of nepotism, a lot mm -hmm. of like hiring, like a lot of sameness. And we can go down the list, all of the child actors of the Michael Douglases and the Gwyneth Paltrow's and the Barrymore's and the Houston's and we, I, the Fonda's. And you go down a the list. They, how do you find people? They honestly looked in their living room to find the next greatest talent. That's not the solution for us. We have to understand and dismantle the kind of hiring process. And advertising, there's a lot of bias in hiring. People are, are shorthanded. They want to hire people that make them feel comfortable. Sometimes we look at people that are different from us and we want to hire them on credential and we scrutinize their credentials for the role. And then yeah. we see somebody that reminds us of us and we hire yeah. them for potential. Credential versus potential creates a whole avenue for some people and not for, for others. Things like unpaid internships. Unpaid internships are for privileged people, no matter your race. So you're cutting out a whole industry of very hungry people that can't afford to work for free. There's so many tactics when we look under the hood of why we weren't able to find and hire these people. And then where it doesn't exist, build relationships, feed the pipeline. There is so much that we can do. We need to take, Ava DuVernay took her skills over here and translated them over here. We don't have permission to do that. We don't have permission to do that. Um, more. I, I love, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I was gonna say, I, I love what you're saying. And it feels like in this industry, there's a lack of desire to acknowledge our habits in this business. It's like the moment you realize like, oh, this is the standard and that standard is not right. It's just what we were doing. It automatically makes you change your perspective. Immediately you're like, oh, so what is another way of doing it? But I think in this business, nobody wants to address themselves because we're so terrified of being labeled bad or like racist or it's like, we're so terrified of being canceled that we won't actually just have the difficult conversation to go, okay, where was I a part of this system? How was I complicit in it? And how do I shift it? It doesn't always have to be so complicated. You just nailed it. No, you just nailed it. That's, mm. and it's actually harder. I'll tell you this. I was considering several roles in this, this hyper moment of looking for the work that I do. I, I told you back in the day, I was like, I don't, I don't know how far I can ride this. Now, you know, in the moment of quarantine and a pandemic and Black Lives Matter and state sanctioned, you know, murders of unarmed black people, there is a, a heightened demand for the work I do. And I was considering multiple opportunities before taking this one at Dentsu. And it was with another, you know, more quote unquote liberal and very creative and very loose company. And I have to, I'm at a point in my career where I have to look, I can't just look at compensation. I have to look at where I can make impact 
that is what's gonna get me my next role. That is my reputation. That is what I spent all of this energy and inertia doing. So in that in that more like liberal and creative and, and you know, flat environment, you know, that's where I, th- I thought it would be more challenging to create change because they already think, oh no, this is how we operate. We're already fair. What are you talking about bias? And so I, ha- mm-hmm. I have other people who are like, well, teach me. So teach me. That reminds me of that Hollywood malaise where everybody thinks they're already creative and we look under the hood at the, you know, the Sony hacks and we're seeing like insidious racism on display. Hey, you are listening to Sister Brunch with Anya Adams and me, Fanchon Cox. We will be right back. Hey, welcome back to Sister Brunch. I'm Fanchon Cox. Let's get back into this conversation with Christina Pyle and Winter Dunn. I'm sitting here reflecting on the interesting fact that part of the lie that we kept getting told was that advertisers wouldn't be able to advertise on our on shows that represent us because there weren't enough people, you know, black women drinking whiskey as an example, right? So then they and then we but then we couldn't get the jobs because they said it would cost too much to get the advertising. You know, like that that's what's so I think brilliant about having the two of you on here is that you both can say to the industry, you've been lying. You've been lying. Yeah, and you've been telling us about this, you know, position over here and why that's a barrier for us. And we've got a representative from that position that's saying you've been lying. Right. That's why the data, it's important. You know, the the frontier of the work we do is in the data Um, and not Mm. we can't believe these stories that black doesn't sell internationally. That's why we don't make these big films. It's really backing it up with data. And that's what I'm having to dig into in my work is show you your lack of representation, show you the audience that you can get from, you know, this type of creative work, show you how much of your entire hundred million dollars spend goes to minority owned media. The numbers don't lie. People do. People lie, not the numbers. um, We recently had a a representative from Illuminative come in, which is a nonprofit all about representation of uh, indigenous and native people. And part of their data was the lack of representation of indigenous people is leading, has these direct correlations with suicide direct correlations with alcoholism, right? And and so I'm wondering, it's tough because, you know, they tend to just want to hear, look, you're losing money. But do you need to sometimes come in and also say, Christina, I'm curious for for your part, this is the damage you are doing by either misrepresenting Black women or erasing Black women from these experiences in the world? I think it's it, it depends on who you're talking to. So I think you get to our level collectively by understanding your audience. So sometimes I go in with the business implications of not including these folks or not hiring these folks, or let's look ahead to where we're going and we're meant to serve these consumers, but you have nobody that looks like them, understands their sentiment, their taste. So sometimes you make a business case and sometimes you appeal to the humanity of it all and the moral it's different audiences and you come with both you over the years, you learn to arm yourself with all of it. You know, the business case at, at my company was something 
I pressure tested. I'm like, am I coming in here having to sell you on the business case of diversity, equity, inclusion? Because I'm tired. I'm tired. I need to actually start working. So it was refreshing to see. It was more the question and the appetite was more of like, where do we get started? So that's what I can get. I can get down with. Okay. Winter, you thoughts on that? I, I, I love you. I love your title and I love that you do the work that you do because I'm not someone who is data driven because I'm a creative. So for me, it's always stemming from the heart into some capacity. And when I see people, I mean, one thing that is starting to frustrate me is that the idea of diversity and inclusion is always seeming to surround around money and the money you're losing by not including us. And I'm more so like, why don't you care about the trauma that you've inflicted? It's like, why don't you seem to want to hold yourself accountable for what you've already done? And then we can also talk about how we can move forward and how that affects your business. But it is, it's a little, especially given the year we just came out of of 2020 with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everyone's so worked up and so emotional and, oh my God, we care so much and I can't believe we missed this. And, yeah, and you like, know, and like and where the fuck y'all been? But then what? Where have you been? How did you not know that this was an issue? Because I feel like we've been telling you. I feel like we've been saying this for a really long time and you've decided mm -hmm. to ignore our point of view. That is a choice that you made and you have to come to terms with that choice and decide how you want to move forward. Don't pretend like you were really the victim in this whole thing because you just, I just didn't know. <laughs> you knew. I feel like Winter, uh, you just, I think it didn't we need to team you. up so you can be the heart and I can be the science. This is what <laughs> Sister Brunch Plus Times Up is all about. <laughs> That makes me so happy. Okay. So Winter, it sounds to me like part of what we're saying is reparations, right? Reparations, reconciliation. Like it's not only about moving forward because we know that's exactly what you want to do, but what can you do about all of the wrongs, the oppression that brought us to this moment? As we're wrapping up this episode, I want to know kind of what is in the future for us? Like, what ways do you see Black women continuing to go beyond essentialist representations, right? Like, how do you see that moving forward? And then is there a place for conversation around rep reparations, reconciliation in the work that we do? I will do? say, you've long heard, you know, we first heard diversity, like the term diversity, and then we heard diversity and inclusion, it got like some kind of upgrade. Then yeah, we're hearing exactly. diversity, equity, and inclusion. They don't keep adding letters. I'm like, you know, as long yeah. as they continue to like, you know, give me opportunity, you can add all the letters. The equity piece is about, you know, the diversity piece is about the representation uh, in the room, like cognitively mm -hmm. and racially and complexion and identity and gender. And the inclusion piece is you can attract all the representation you want. If people don't feel included, like they have pathways for promotion, they can see themselves in leadership, then you're going to have them boomerang out of the door. The equity piece is looking at people as individuals and giving them the tools they need to succeed and do yeah. the best work of their life. And that's where I wouldn't even call it a reparation, but that's where we, we don't need to be so dismissive of people. We need to give them the tools to be successful. When you've been running the same race with weights on your legs, there's an opportunity to see that potential and to see that talent and look into the future and pull that person with you. Um, and that doesn't make us sac compromise our meritocracy. It doesn't, you're, you found the perfect word to trigger me. 
Uh, it doesn't make us compromise that. The future for Black women in leadership in business and in my space is bright because of what Black women, and Black women are not a monolith, but we do come with a certain set of empathy, multitasking, ability to work through painful situations. We're not, you know, we're not all the same, but those are modern day leadership skills that we have innately. And I, if people will just get out of the way, you will watch a black woman lead. That is so, I literally just had a conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about imposter syndrome amongst black women in the workplace. And we were literally saying black, or not to generalize, but for the most part, we have so many natural leadership skills that then get labeled as something negative when we implement them. But when someone who doesn't look like us behaves like us, shows up into the room, literally like, oh, that black woman, she's a boss, I'm gonna do that too they are respected and received and given the praise. And so in a lot of ways, I'm just in a place right now moving forward. I think the role of like our responsibility is to be our authentic selves and to do our work. And the truth is, I don't think we haven't been doing that. We haven't been given the space to do that and excel while doing that. So when it comes to work, I'm really looking at them to go, what work are you going to do? Like you said, we've been running with weights I need you to take the weights off. I'm gonna keep running. I'm gonna keep doing my thing because that's what I've been doing. That's all I know how to do. All we do is we win and we and try we and we push and we fight. pull other just people with us. We see just to breathe, right? We pull other people with us. That I have no doubt that putting black women in like spaces to win, I'm gonna have four girls behind me like, all right, sis. So it's like the rest of our, the industries need to shift their thinking past just the part we tell the public, like just past the part that makes you look like a good guy. Like I need you to do the work on the inside. Like I've had like conversations where I'm like, hey, I just found out I'm getting paid less than my coworker, but you give me all the responsibility because you trust me to handle it. So I need you to compensate me for that trust. And if you want me to go to the diversity meetings and to tell my perspective as a black woman and do all that extra work, emotional work, then you need to compensate me for said work. I need you I to know ask anybody else that to you are. It's like you're oh. in the boardrooms. It's like you are. You are embedded right now in the in the. That's the conversation. That was a mm -hmm. word. That was a whole mm -hmm. word. Because I feel it. It's true. I'm talk. All my friends were like, "Time is up." I don't think. I, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but that was up. a perfect note. <laughs> The time's up in the best of ways. We are grateful to Time's Up, of course, to Sister Brunch, to have you both together. I think one of my favorite things when we have two guests on episodes is when we know that y'all two are going to be in touch with each other and start to collaborate, like kind of get even more stuff done. We're so glad to have you both. We support both of you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sister Brunch with me, Fanchon Cox. That was our conversation with Christina Pyle and Winter Dunn. Visit sisterbrunch.com to find out more about them and their projects. Please don't forget to visit the timesupfoundation.org website. You can find out all about their work and how to follow them on social. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast. And we're on Twitter too at Sister Brunch and on Facebook facebook.com slash sister brunch podcast. Oh, and also please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our show once you finish listening to this episode. This episode was created in partnership with the Time's Up Foundation. 
Our show producer is Brittany Turner. Our executive producer is Christabel Nsiabwadi. We acknowledge that the land we record our podcast on is the original land of the Tongva people here in Los Angeles. Can't wait to see you next time. Take care.